talk him to writing the wrong way, where he talked about how writing works, how writers work, how the best writers risk being strange. And sometimes the best writers also risk being publishers. And I get a lot of questions about self-publishing. I've done some self-publishing experiments in my time. Uh, but I primarily don't do self-publishing. Uh, I primarily will publish with other publishers. Um, so I wanted to haul somebody on here who's done some self-publishing and recently has, you know, really dived into that world. Uh, and so uh, we're going to talk to ZF Sigurdsson. Uh, and if you go into the description for this episode, uh, you'll find all sorts of links uh, to get more information and some of you know these books uh, that ZF Sigerson is going to talk about. Zach, uh, you have uh, a new book coming out called The Wrong mm -hmm. Side, uh, mm -hmm. and you also have uh, a book called Bloodied Already Out. Both of them are part of the Veiled Sagas. Um, in fact, you know, The Wrong Side may be out by the time I, I get around to posting this uh, interview. <laughs> but regardless, it'll be out either already or soon at zfsigurdsson.com or if you're in the U.S., zfsigurdsson.com. Mm -hmm. uh, and can you tell us just a little bit about these two books and, the, and how you were sort of co-writing them in, in a manner of speaking? I'm curious mm -hmm. to know more about the Veiled Sagas in a kind of broad sense before we get mm -hmm. into some of the specifics of uh, what these books are about and your process of publishing them. Uh, because mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of that people can learn from uh, this sort of process that you're, you're, you're engaged in here. Mm -hmm. Well, to start off with like what the Veiled Sagas are and what I write and kind of what I aim for is um, I start with the idea of like all the hidden world fantasy books, Harry Potter, Percy Jackson, like the, the stuff I was I was, I grew up with. Um, all of it's this hidden world fantasy. And I know me and plenty of other people of my generation who've lived with this stuff our entire lives are like, why aren't they using cell phones? Where is the influence of modern technology, modern society? People from our normal world get brought into the fantasy world and they bring their ideas, their technology, their culture, and it's just a part of uh, just a part of the world. But that allows me to do, and this is the point of the Veil Tigers, a very genre bent um, place to tell stories. Um, I've, I'm always a believer that like an interesting world isn't a story; an interesting world facilitates stories. So the Veil Tigers is just a place where I can do like cool Western adventures, cool samurai duels, monster attacks, um, fantasy horror. Like I can, I can do what I want because I'm so inf influenced and interested in just taking genre ideas and breaking them and mis mixing them up together. And so um, that, that's what the Veiled Sagas is to me. And the, the hard part is now making good writing out of it. Um, so I've, on one hand, I've really, really embraced kind of the pulp nonsense side of genre fiction, but I'm also working really hard with beta readers and with writing partners to try to make actual good stories. And this is why, why I built the world this way. So I can, it's, it's a way as a young writer for me to 
get good at writing. And so when I decided to re release these books, I had just left a job. I was absolutely miserable out. I talk about this in Bloody, about my journey through with depression, with anxiety, um, being an adult with autism, which I don't know if I mention in Bloody very much, but that is just a part of my life. Um, and when I quit this job, I had just finished writing a big novel. I'd written about two novels. Um, both were like big, ugly, epic fantasy books. Um, also set in the Veil Sagas because that's just where my mind goes, uh, combining fantasy tropes with modern technology, kind of a medieval punk, Mad Max kind of thing going on all the time. And um, I sat down like, oh, I, oh God, I cannot commit to another novel. So I, at that time, I'd started to get into Conor and I had always been a fan of H.P. Lovecraft. I had been listening to a lot of H.G. Wells and Edgar Rice Burroughs, a lot of classic genre fiction, a lot of the origins of genre fiction. Um, so I said, screw it, I'm going to make pulp stories. And so for about six months, I hammered away at and basically adventure serial stories following like um, a wandering warrior woman character because I've seen enough Ronin style characters who are men. I wanted um, a, um, a woman character, but also um, her adventures are also very much me going um, discussing loneliness and depression and trauma, some things I've experienced. And in writing a bunch of these stories, um, eventually I got, um, I got to the point where I need to start putting stuff out and start going through some sort of publishing process. And um, after a while, I had a bunch of stories. I had a couple other stories from other places, and I eventually um, just created a pulp-style collection, and that became bloodied. But throughout all this process, the other challenge I gave myself for that six to eight months of just recovering um every week every i think it was every monday it might have been every wednesday it was once a week i would put slap a flash fiction onto my website doesn't matter what it was or how good it was i just i was doing it every week i was sharing it on my social media going here's the thing i put up online and i would start to get feedback and i would start to get people who I would start to get responses from friends and family and sometimes even strangers. And that was really, really pushing me into like get, getting towards getting published um, or publishing myself as the case ended up being. And so now, yeah, I'm taking all those flash fiction plus a couple extra that I um, had never seen the light of day and putting them in an ebook for just so it's it's in a single more convenient place and i'm curious about bloodied and a little bit about again this kind of process of getting to publishing it uh, mm -hmm. so where in this um sort of timeline that you've laid out here a little bit mm -hmm. did you take that workshop uh, mm -hmm. where I met you and uh, Lyndon Menchenka mm -hmm. without we we all and, and some other people mm -hmm. took uh, a workshop with uh, GMB Kamichik, Justin Curry, and uh, Samantha Biko, mm -hmm. or SM Biko, as she publishes herself. Uh, where in sort of, um, 
where in this does that workshop fall? Like at what point were you kind of taking that? And, and were you at that point having, or I can't remember now if you had, had already decided to publish this book mm -hmm. or not. Um, I had not at that point, but that meeting was a, that meeting was a big moment because um, like I had been, I was just finishing that, that novel. I was just starting to think about short stories and adventure fiction and pulp stories. And that meeting, that class was super important because they simply looked, looked at us and went, you don't have to do indie publishing and traditional publishing as mutually exclusive things. It can be a project by project thing. And then they also said, it's super helpful to get your own project made, to go through the process, to learn the process, to invest in your um, career this way. And that set off all the lights. So that eventually put me on the path that a year and a bit later, I would have blood in, in my hands. Yeah, I remember that workshop for a couple of reasons. So one, one reason is that I do a series of covert tests whenever I meet a writer. <laughs> so uh, the first test I do is I ask them if they can sell me their book right then and mm -hmm. there. So you didn't have a book yet, so you couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But Lyndon did, and he passed mm -hmm. the test. He sold me his book. The reason I do that test is, one, I want to see, does this person have uh, the willingness to sell a book to you? Like, do they have the, mm -hmm. will they get behind their book? Mm -hmm. And two, do they have the infrastructure to sell mm -hmm. a book to you? Which is not, not everybody, ha even if they want to sell you a book, has the infrastructure to do it. Because mm -hmm. uh, it's not always as simple as just handing you cash, because I want a receipt, I want all these things. and. Um, uh, but then the, so then when you did finally put out, so Lyndon passed all my tests. Mm -hmm. I have other ones I do, but like, uh, mm -hmm. and you kind of, you know, had, had, didn't have your book out yet, but then mm -hmm. I heard from Lyndon actually that you were mm -hmm. putting this book out and I said, well, tell Zach if he emails me and tries to sell me a book, I'll buy one. And then mm -hmm. you did. And I yeah. bought it. And then when it came, I do a series. So I knew that at this point that you had self-published the book, mm -hmm. uh, through, uh, I guess, uh, Ingram Spark, it would be. Um, so when the book came, I do a, now for self-published books. I have another series of covert, you know, tests I do. Mm -hmm. um, and so usually, and so it's like a list of you know things that I look for in the book immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, so this book, more than most of the self-published books that I see, like you know, runs down the checklist quite well. You know, for example, you've got a matte cover. Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I don't see a lot. I see a lot of people choosing a poor, you, you got somebody else designing the cover. Uh, yes. you know, our friend um, Stephen Call did a really great, mm -hmm. um, image here. And then you had, I, th I guess it was Chloe Brown do the design. Yeah. Yeah. Chloe's, uh, um, an old friend of mine who's a graphic designer. You've got this, uh, your paper stock and the color is, uh, really nice. A lot of people pick the wrong paper stock and color. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you have a lot of paper stock auctions in this particular, uh, um, place, it was with but, Amazon, so they have like sure. a relatively limited. But but the, but the color is something a lot of people, you know, do wrong. And uh, you know, there's a bunch of other sort of other sort of things in here. But I was very impressed by the actual like production quality of this mm -hmm. book, which is not something. So, but so it just speaks to me to of actually having done a fair amount of research. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about when you just made the decision to publish this book yourself? What were sort of the next things you did? sort of on the path to doing that and what were some of the things mm -hmm. you sort of realized you had to do and then how did you kind of go about solving the kind of problems that all of a sudden you have in front of you uh, because you're you decided to do this project 
research um, a lot of um, like there's a lot of YouTube videos and I was just combing through um, advice from different indie authors going through the process like a big day was just me logging onto Amazon building the profile and then slowly going oh this is how they do this this is how they do this this is how they do this um, I want to get like the editing done by this date, the cover done by this date, um, get, get it designed by this date. And so it was just like, it was just very much of me feeling out the process. One of the cra um, craziest parts about publishing a book is just the waiting, just waiting on the art, waiting on the graphic design, even just waiting for Amazon to be able to send me the book because a big problem with um, the release of Bloodied was it was in the first big wave of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, there was, there was this, the solid month, the first month of quarantine when I, I was laid off, my whole family was laid off, um, of me just, just waiting to see if I would even be able to publish the book. Well, um, a lot of people don't in, in that mm -hmm. scenario. Uh, yeah. So I'm really interested in what what separates the people who do the thing versus don't do the thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, I mean, writing a book is a massive project. It's a massive undertaking, you know, even just to finish a draft, mm -hmm. um, which most people don't do. Uh, you know, never mind. Now you take on the job finalizing the draft and so on and then publishing the actual book. Uh, one thing I'm really curious about is, you know, when adversity hits or even when it doesn't hit but just because there's so many things in front of you um i'm curious to know what kind of keeps you kind of going or what kind of kept you going through all this mm -hmm. to kind of get the book out when you know not just the normal challenges of writing and publishing are coming to play but mm -hmm. additionally you know we have um you know personal challenges p pandemic challenges this mm -hmm. whole other set of you know kind of problems that on one hand the internet is and the self-publishing process makes um, in some ways, they, they are less affected uh, or less able to affect that process. Uh, but in other respects, um, it's you know it's still this massive uh, <laughs> thing that's happening and is you know certainly throwing a wrench into things. <laughs> it would have been very easy in that scenario to just say, "I'll do it when the pandemic is over." Yeah, and, and just kind of give yourself the out. So, what kind of kept you <laughs> going when you had a perfectly good out? Mm -hmm. For for me, that wasn't really an option. Um, luck, like luckily, the book was finished by the time the pandemic hit, and I had been talking about it with coworkers because, like, I, I work in a kitchen, and like a kitchen's a great place for outcasts. There's lots of like people in all their stages of life there. So I'm coming in every other day, going, "Oh, I made some more progress on my book." Or, um, oh, check out um, to my sous chef or my head chef. Oh, I got the cover done. Check this out. Um, so wimping out and saying, oh, no, the book's not coming because pandemic. That, that, that wasn't an option for a social aspect. But for me, I, I needed this thing finished. I needed it. I, I couldn't wait. I wanted it out there. Um, I wanted to do this thing. I wanted to um, hold it in my hands. Um, it wasn't an option to delay, even as the world was burning. 
And I want to I want to preface every everything that I've been talking about with me me basically taking sabbatical, me self publishing. Because I'm very fortunate. I've I um I still live with my family. We 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 all we share everything. I have um, money. I I was able to save up for self publishing, which is a huge benefit. Oh, I, um, just being able to not not quite enjoy quarantine, but be able to use the time quarantine has given me to do the thing I really really love. I have an obligation to do the thing. I can't be screwing about. Um, it's important to take breaks, but especially with the first quarantine, I had no excuse not to publish this book. My life had not been affected that much. So it was important that I finished this project. You were saying after having written a novel, you you, you just wanted some smaller project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you, you did a large project in the sense as the book, but you took some, you decided to go work on short stories. Um, mm-hmm. You also were doing these flash fictions. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a very interesting decision that a lot of people also don't make, which is, mm-hmm. you know, they'll get mired in the morass of the novel, which is a very difficult thing to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that short fiction is not difficult. It's in some ways more difficult to write short fiction, mm-hmm. um, but it, it certainly is a, a more bounded uh, mm-hmm. uh, genre. Like by, by mm-hmm. its very nature, the novel can go forever. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you know, uh, one of, the, one of the theories of the novel by Bakhtin is that the novel can contain inside of it any other thing uh, that mm-hmm. you could find in the literary world. And therefore, mm-hmm. and it's sort of boundlessness is its sort of actual structural capacity. So mm-hmm. I'm really, uh, I, I, I'm curious, you know, how you hit on this short fiction idea mm-hmm. uh, versus, you know, coming off the novel, but also just uh, with the publishing side of it. Um, mm-hmm what kind of went into the decision to self-publish versus seek a more traditional publisher? Now you mentioned the workshop and so mm-hmm. how that influenced, you know, you in that you kind of felt it wasn't an either or decision, but I'm curious to know, mm-hmm. like, uh, so I guess what I'm sort of boiling down here uh, in terms of a question is what did you find uh, was the most attractive aspect of going the self-publishing route and what do you think mm-hmm. is the most kind of valuable lesson you've kind of taken from it um i think of like a big valuable thing of self-publishing is it teaches you the entire process yourself um like i had to go find the editor i had to go find the graphic artist i had to go find the um cover artist um so being able to do all that myself was huge me I'm still not terribly good at it, but me learning social media a little bit better for doing advertising and marketing and managing a web, my own website, um, doing all the steps yourself, really, it, it, just doing it is the educator um, and investing in it is its own education. Um, and with, with, like, with doing Bloody, it, it was, this is very much me putting something out there and doing something weird and seeing how people respond to it and seeing if it works. Um, and just, and also for me being able to finish a project and have it out there. And now I'm going to do a couple more of them because I have enough short stories left now, over. And now you've got the bug. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's, it's, um, 
yeah, writing is, I'm not stopping and I'm not going to stop <laughs> if I don't have to. What do you think you'll, is there anything you think you'll do differently uh, next time as a result of, you know, something you kind of learned on this uh, with this book? Well, I'm, stuff I've already been doing because um, while I'm, the, the wrong side is coming, I am still planning on having the direct sequel to Bloodied coming out in May. So I have a much heavier beta reading process. Instead of just a couple critiques here and there, I am hunting for beta readers and I am hounding them for critiques. Um, I am looking for not only a copy editor, but a substantive editor to help polish these stories off. To um, So my um, worst aspects don't come through as much. Um, just a minor thing that's been like in, in a lot of ways a huge relief is I spent a lot of Bloody's publication just just waiting for stuff. Like the book was finished. The book was edited for a long time before it came out. And so now I have a little bit more breathing room because I know I now know how long these things take. And so I'm able to like this time last year Bloodied was pretty much edited or on or in the hands of an editor. Now I'm a, I have a little bit more time and I can work on other stuff and I can polish up other stuff and I can, it's, it's more breathing room now that I know how long the process takes. Is there a particular uh, thing you would recommend people focus on first uh, if they were going to uh, dive into the self-publishing world, just given your recent experience? Um, I would really, really, encourage people to get better at networking than I am because it is really hard to market something that just exists on the internet that even the most aimless Amazon hunters may not even find it. It is so important to have a network of other other writers and readers to help, help, <laughs> help other parts of the world realize that this thing exists and Maybe maybe the right reader is out there who will who will really enjoy it, really get what get that individual um, kind of passion and, and creative imagination that that's there that they won't find anywhere else. It really is quite a set of things you're doing when mm -hmm. you take on the publishing role, and of course also the marketing role. Um, I mean, usually even if you're publishing with a traditional publisher, I would say that writers really have to market themselves. Like mm -hmm. there's a little bit that a publisher will do for you, but they just simply can't do that much for you. Um, or nor should they in many respects. Uh, it just isn't usually a wise investment unless the book is already kind of moving in a certain direction. And then they can get behind that and they can recognize that it, maybe in a way you can't, they can maybe do things that you can't, uh, mm -hmm. maybe you wouldn't think to do and they have more experience in this and that and the other thing. But for the most part, I, you know, in modern publishing, at least, even with a traditional publisher, writers really have to uh, take on the onus of marketing their work themselves. And so mm -hmm. to slot that, the publisher role into it as well is, it is quite a lot of things that, then you know, that are sort of stacking on the, the writer position. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that this, I mean, I'm very, um, I'm, I typically myself work with traditional publishers, although I'm doing sort of, I've done a few self-publishing projects and I'll, I'll do more uh, publishing projects myself uh, before long. But uh, the thing I often will say when 
people kind of come to me and, and ask me questions about self-publishing is, is I'll ask them, do you want to be a writer or a publisher? Uh, you can, of course, be both. But what I often will see with people is that they actually don't want to be a publisher at all. <laughs> they really just want to be a writer, but they have the idea that somehow being a publisher is, you know, going to help them as a writer. It really, in many ways, I think just gets in your way, but uh, it is its own thing that I think has a lot of attraction. And there is a level at which I think the integration of being able to kind of write and publish and market, you know, if you can kind of hook yourself into those things in an interesting way, I think there's so many interesting opportunities there. If a person is really willing to take, those roles on um fully mm -hmm. so i'm curious to to know like what you found you actually enjoyed about the publishing process to the degree that you want to keep doing it um that maybe you weren't expecting to enjoy um i'm not sure if it's enjoyment i just knew that if i do these things i get a book at the end because writing and telling stories that's that's where my heart is um and i have to i have to i do i have to force myself to do the administrative work but i know if i do it then i get a book at the end and it is a very emotional moment for me and and for all writers um it is a really emotional moment holding that book for the first time and just the, th the things that I've imagined and I've written and I've created are now, they're, they're not just mine anymore. I get to share it and show it and go, ooh, the, here's this cool thing I made. I don't, I think br bringing different talent is a big thing I enjoyed. Bringing, um, talking to different artists, talking to graphic designers, talking to different editors and other writers, that's probably the big part of the publishing um, process that I enjoy the most and getting that those first roughs of a cover art, um, getting, getting that email going, here's your cover art. What do you think? Th there's nothing that really beats that for me. Just that sheer, it's this, it's the sheer excitement I try to write with that I then get passed back to me. The cover is really uh, something. It, it, it is one of the things that with traditional publishing, you don't typically get much impact, put or impact in, on. I mean, some people more than others, uh, I tend to get a bit more influence mm -hmm. than uh, I'm, another person might. But um, even so, you know, uh, I, I, it's, all, it's out of my hands, right? And, and mm -hmm. it is a, an interesting uh, thing. How did you go about vetting or finding like... Uh, did you know Stephen already, or how did you go about finding uh, um, Stephen this was art through, for the cover? Stephen was through Lyndon. Um, sure. With because um, ever since that workshop, me and Lyndon have basically been in daily contact, talking about writing and movies and books and politics. We're we're just and now we have um, a couple more people in our little little um, writing goblins. Um, group chat though it's the group chat of beats so the it was the group chat of guilt for a while <laughs> um and yeah it was um i i always knew i wanted um i always want local writers to do my covers 
Um, so I had approached um, Nico Rudolph because he does very pulpy stuff. Um, but um, he, he was busy at the time, so I went off to check other stuff. Um, with Steve, with Steven, um, I knew what I wanted. The question was, and it, it was completely fair to him that his style may, may not work for what I wanted. Um, and he was completely upfront with that, and I completely understood. But he absolutely knocked out of the park. I said I wanted a Frank Frazetta-style cover with, like, that climactic orgy of violence um, that you would get in a Conan story. And he took he took it to the next level, and it is awesome. With um, the wrong side that's coming out, um, I had a I had a coworker at the restaurant, and who's a graphic artist. And me and him were always talking about we should do a comic together, we should do a book cover, we should do something. Um, so I messaged him, um, whatever your rate is, do the cover for this. It's a flash fiction collection. Pick any story from this and go with it. Um, so he picked one of the, like, a story I did not expect him to pick. It is not a very visually interesting story, but he made it visually interesting. And the craziest part is it features a character that I, it features one of the first characters I ever created. And it, so it was a very emotional moment when he sent me that art. Um, the artist's name, Paul Long, Longchamp, and he, ha he has stuff on Instagram and Twitter. He's a, he's a gorgeous artist. Um, and so it was a hugely emotional moment when he sent me the art of this character that had been with me for so long. And now I can finally see this character in all the glorious madness. But with what's coming next with the sequel for Bloodied, I have a very looser idea. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that. Well, I'm very uh, happy to be talking to you and uh, I'm glad uh, to hear more about the Veiled Sagas. And if people, again, want to learn more about the Veiled Sagas, uh, check out Bloodied um, or The Wrong Side or you know uh, Future Works by Zach, then go to ZF Sigerson. Uh, dot com or where else can they find you online zach um i'm on all social media as zf sigurdsson zf sigurdsson 95 um my website's a great place because it kind of leads it to everywhere else but i'm probably most active on instagram because i'm always sharing like, the books i'm reading the meals i'm cooking um publication stuff well thanks again for talking to me and uh thank you keep writing the wrong way <laughs> I, I absolutely will. <laughs> <laughs>